Hey everyone, welcome back. This is the Ball and Breakfast podcast. I'm Patrick Miller alongside Wayne Pua. Um, first and foremost, continue to show that great support that we've gotten all across social media um, and the podcasting channels that we're on, um, especially Anchor. Uh, we'd love your subscriptions there. You know, they really help us, uh, you know, drive any sort of further awareness, you know, move ourselves up in rankings, you know, possibly monetize as well. Um, so if you do that there and then also over on YouTube, uh, you know, the more subscriptions, follows, likes, the better. Even your comments are great. We love to hear what you guys have to say and kind of weave it into our show and, and our thinking here. Um, with all that being said, uh, we've got a, a list of topics to go over today, um, touching on all three uh, professional sports. But first and foremost, we're going to cover uh, a couple of men um, that have, you know, led amazing lives, uh, you know, personally and professionally in the sports of basketball and baseball. Um, and then those two gentlemen are Bill Russell um, and Vin Scully, who is the uh, former announcer of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, first off, I know, Wayne, uh, you know, you posted something recently on your own story, um, touching on Bill Russell and, you know, kind of, you know, outside of an amazing career where he won championships and was the face of the Celtics in the civil rights era. He also, you know, grew up uh, in a time of, of heavy discrimination, you know, segregation, um, just issues all across, uh, you know, the racial front. But, um, you know, what would you like to say about Bill or, you know, any, any stories or thoughts that you have about, about his life and legacy? Yeah, no, that's a great, uh, I think that's a great setup. I mean, yeah, he's a winner, uh, on the court just as much, if not more than, well, he, more than anybody really, right. In terms of the championships, five MVPs, 11 championships out of, 13 seasons coached two of them when he was, he was a player coach first african-american coach in any major leagues as well so um two college championships presidential medal of freedom <laughs> marched with martin luther king jr was there there like front row and center during the i had a dream speech uh and stood up you know against the u.s government uh with muhammad ali uh, in terms of you know being drafted um, during the Vietnam War. So like was front and center with regards to civil rights, um, as well as being a winner on 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 the basketball court. So I think he is also highly just highly respected in today's basketball and NBA community. Um, you know, you, you you watch any interviews or any interactions he has with any of today's NBA stars, and they have nothing but great things to say about him. Um, and they all just like digest anything that he says with regards to life and and just like his sh- the sheer joy that he has. Um, you know, everybody knows his laugh, like it's just full of pure joy. And you know, uh, yeah, you know, during any type of dark times, uh, you know, that, that he definitely went through, it's like, how can this guy possibly be laughing? But then he's laughing and he's having so much joy in his life right now, so it's. It's amazing that he lived an amazing life, larger than life in terms of personality and aura and essence, and uh, just an overall uh, great human being who's you know battled through a lot. Like, you know, I think I remember, uh, I think it was his daughter posted on social uh, or had a story about how uh, like Bill Russell, like this was like during when he was winning with for the Celtics, right? Um, it was like in Boston and he, uh, somebody defecated on his, in his bed basically. Right. And, you know, and then, the, then there became this whole thing of, well, why, you know, why doesn't Bill Russell like the, 
doesn't like Boston or doesn't like going back to Boston. He lives, you know, he lives in Mercer Island actually, which I, I, I've spent some summers there, uh, Mercer Island in Washington. So um, it's like, yeah, he, he had the only time he basically returned to Boston was uh, uh, because they erected a statue for him. So it's like the city of Boston essentially and the Celtics had to erect a statue just for it's kind of a make amends or like a peace offering for bill russell there um so you know it was a very much a love-hate relationship them offering that kind of peace offering of a statue and and how they're able to make amends now uh so it was nice to see all that you know towards the end of times for him but yeah so you know i think i've said enough in terms of bill russell would love to hear you pat you know your thoughts on his legacy that he left yeah, um, I actually recently have been looking into content on Bill Russell since his passing, and uh, I think a couple of stories kind of stand out with me as far as the type of guy he was and how he was kind of molded by his mother um, and just how he kind of reacted to situations. I always think he took the class act route, and, you know, uh, part of that was, you know, his roots in Louisiana, uh, you know, heavy segregation in those communities throughout the civil rights era. Um, his mom, when he was real little, told him not to go out on the front yard and always play in the backyard just to kind of stay away from any sort of trouble out on the streets. And he got to a certain age. I think he said it was like six or seven years old where his mom's like, OK, now you can go out on the lawn, um, play outside. But if anybody happens to drive by or walk by or whatever, just, you know, if they have anything directed in your you know, face, if they say anything to you, nasty comments, this, this or that, um, ignore them. Um, basically, you know, understand that it's their problem, uh, not yours. So any sort of hatred coming out of them uh, is their own issue or, or issues to kind of work out themselves. So um, it kind of transitioned later in life when you said he was a player coach. Um, I guess they had 13 guys, you know, walking into a season one year. And one of them was a, a player out of Duke University named Art Heyman. And uh, Bill basically looked at his roster and said, you know, unfortunately, this is the last guy you know, on the bench, I got to cut the guy. And uh, apparently the guy, you know, got cut and went on a tirade of just a bunch of N-bombs and just other, you know, derogatory comments, just, you know, screaming at at Bill Russell about, you know, how he's wrong and, you know, how he's this, this and that. And uh, Bill didn't say anything. He just sat there and it's not that, uh, you know, he was welcoming these kinds of comments, but again, it was kind of like that attitude or behavior instilled in him by his mother to say, you know, this is just going to look bad on art at the end of the day, uh, which it ultimately did. He lost a, you know, he lost a job as it was never really became much outside of, you know, being a Boston Celtic. So it wasn't like, you know, Bill ever made the wrong choice. It was just, you know, he, he went with his gut and who he thought was the best player. But, you know, I think that's, that's kind of how I see Bill in one way, um, just his ability to kind of endure and look past, uh, you know, idiots in our world and just people that, you know, don't don't have any sort of, uh, you know, uh, culture or kind of, uh, you know, manners or anything else like that. I mean, it's very simple, but it's, you know, just 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 people that just don't have a lot of class. So um, that was one part. The second part um, was a story about him going to an exhibition with a bunch of teammates uh, in Lexington, Kentucky. And uh, they got to the hotel and uh, another uh, roommate of his was also African American. Uh, decided to go downstairs at this hotel, um, get some, you know, get a meal right before the game. And uh, he comes back up to the hotel room not too long after, and Bill's in there, and he just said, you know, Bill's like, "Why didn't you get your food? Where's your food?" And he's like, "Oh, they wouldn't serve me downstairs." So 
Um, you know, Bill kind of took a, a second to process things and then, you know, picked up the phone and uh, he called the local airlines. Uh, you know, I think he said something like Eastern Airlines or something in, in that time. But uh, he basically asked them, do you have any flights out of Lexington today? Um, they had a game slated at like seven o'clock at night, but uh, they came back and said, yeah, we got a flight to Boston, Washington or Chicago. And he's like, I'll, I'll take any of them. I don't really care. Just get me out of here. And uh, so they, they kind of booked him a flight. And then he, the guy across from him is his roommate was like, are you, are you seriously going to leave? And he's like, yeah, I'm going to leave. He's like, all right. And he's like, you want, you want to come with me? And he's like, he got back on the phone. He's like, make that two tickets. And um, I think a couple more teammates came in the room and heard the story. And he's like, all right, make that four tickets. So he started to like get guys ready to leave, um, you know, Lexington because of this issue. And uh, Red Auerbach uh, essentially found out or, or they called each other or, or whatnot. And uh, Red's like, you know, um, you know, what can I do to make you guys, you know, stay? Because I heard you're, you're planning to leave tonight. And uh, Bill's like, nothing, honestly, nothing. And uh, I guess Red called uh, the owner of the hotel, who was also the owner of, a, of the basketball team they were playing the next day uh, for this exhibition. And uh, the owner basically said that, uh, you know, I called down to the restaurant. You guys are all welcome to eat down there. And you now that'll be the end of the segregation in the restaurant. Bill you know, basically was like, nope, nope, that's not good enough. And, uh, you know, basically Red was like, all right, goes back, talks to the owner again. The owner's like, you can come up to my suite and, you know, have, have this luxury, you know, luxurious meal on me and come, you know, meet me at my suite or this and that. And Bill's like, I don't give a, he basically told Red, I don't give a, like an F who the hell this guy is. And, you know, in those times, I mean, I can't, I, don't know what the wealth uh, disparity was between an owner and player, but I'm sure it was pretty significant. And, uh, you know, Bill just basically stood on his laurels and was just like, I don't care what it is, but, you know, by us leaving tonight, we're going to send like a huge message to, you know, that owner, uh, that restaurant, uh, Lexington, Kentucky, that, you know, we're just not going to take it. And, uh, you know, Red ultimately, you know, even in those times, pretty much had a laugh about it. It was like, you know, didn't push him on it or anything. He's just like, all right, Bill, I'll see you back in Boston. So, I just thought, you know, it's just like those two anecdotes and kind of hearing the praise that like President Biden gave him and you know, all the players you were talking about just throughout the NBA and sports. It's like this guy was uh, kind of walking on water for for his time. So, uh, you know, tribute to Bill. Um, you know, it's, it seems like a great man, uh, you know, is, be- you know, behind us now. Um, but his legacy will live on forever. Yeah, I think I think. The one key thing is is leader, right? He he led both you know on the field and then also off the basketball court, um, his team. So you know you talked about that incident in Kentucky as well as what he was able to do on the basketball court. Um, you know a lot of people talk about championships and those eleven championships, like there were only eight NBA teams and how that affects his legacy. Um, he he almost had a perfect career, eleven out of thirteen NBA seasons. So he had that and won two NCAA championships, which was kind of a big deal back then more so. Um, but, you know, they the Celtics never won a championship before Bill. Like, people forget about that. And, um, yeah, and then his relationship. And he basically set up the, the you know, the team with all the players that he left behind uh, for the next iteration of, you know, great Boston Celtics, you know, eventually Dave Cowens and all that in the 70s. So, like his legacy uh, lives on, uh, you know, Celtic pride. Uh, you, you automatically think about Bill Russell. So it's hard not to think about him as, you know, like one of the top five greatest or one of the greatest of all time, uh, you know, even considering his era and how he's able to just 
not just win, but dominate. Uh, you know, he's also a five-time M- MVP too. So he wasn't like he was some sort of, you know, Robert Ory type of contributor or anything like that. He was the best player on, on, on the best team for 11 out of 13 seasons there. So um, yeah. And his legacy off, off the basketball court, like, man, I, I, I liked how you touched that. Cause it was kind of like how, uh jackie robinson also approached things i think they they both had that concerted effort it's almost kind of buddhist actually uh now Mm -hmm. i think about it it's like uh i'm not allowing you to hurt me like like i have the power to just be like i don't care like (laughs) i'm just gonna go this way and you're gonna go that way and that's it so um yeah yeah so i really admire that i really admire that i think out of bill russell and everything he's able to accomplish, how he just handles himself. He has that aura, that mystique, that just, this guy's a leader uh, for, for what when you want to build up for a franchise. So, yeah. Yeah. And it seemed like he was the only one in that era who was like the Will Chamberlain stopper. It always sounded like, you know, Will could just, you know, obviously the hundred points and probably average like 50 a game or something. <laughs> I don't know how many seasons he was able to do that, but it always sounded like in that era, the only time he wasn't able to do that was when Bill Russell was on the, on the floor. So I thought that was, yeah, pretty impressive too for his for his time. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, just his his posture about everything, like you're saying. I mean, in an era where he followed Martin Luther King, who was very outspoken, but also you know preached kindness. And you have you know a guy like uh, Muhammad Ali, who also you know stood for peace, but you know obviously was you know just just very quotable um, too, and and just kind of contrasting from like the Stilly Carmichael's or M- Malcolm X as well. So it's kind of like yeah, I just appreciate his approach. And the last thing I wanted to at least throw out there from his Lexington time and, and kind of an observation made it just a quote that he put out there. I thought was really good, but he's like, you know, apologies to him are shaky. He said, because people aren't sorry for what they did. They're sorry about the reaction to what they did. And I just thought that that was like pretty deep because it's like, you know, we all apologize for things. And I think genuinely sometimes people are, you know, actually sorry for doing something that, you know, maybe, crossed wires or something like that. But, but I thought that was pretty telling. Cause I think there are a lot of times where people apologize for something, but they're not actually sorry about the action. They're just more or less sorry that, you know, people reacted in a certain way. So I yeah. um, thought that was really cool, but uh, I think Bill Russell is pretty cool. Yeah. It, it was probably referring to that with the Boston Celtics and his role in the city of Boston, his relationship with them. So, but yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, and I know. Yeah, we lost another, uh, you know, big icon in the baseball world, right? With Vin Scully, um, ninety-four years old, uh, one of you know, I would probably say like the greatest storytellers uh, in all of sports. Um, you know, uh, sixty-seven seasons calling games, right? Uh, like, could you imagine doing any job for sixty-seven seasons? That's crazy. I'm like, I'm like counting the days to retirement, right? So, um, so <laughs> you and me I, both. I know, like, this is, this is like the opposite of the whole fire movement, right? Like, no, I'm just going to work 67 years and it's going to be awesome. So, um, but, you know, yeah, he's obviously doing something he loves. He loves baseball. Um, and, you know, there was definitely that transition. Like, this is how, uh, this is how, like, back he's gone is like he was during that transition of, you know, moving from radio to TV broadcasting, right? And some people struggled with that transition, but, you know, he was definitely young enough and innovative enough to be like, okay, uh, here are the the things I need to do in in order to adapt towards that. Um, And even some of the great commentators these days are 
uh, uh, TV announcers like uh, like Al Michaels, uh, you know, has been quoted in saying like, I basically just copied him for, you know, the first couple of years of my career and uh, kind of try to develop my own uh, my own style there. But, you know, I think he's such an icon, you know, was there for Hank Aaron's uh, uh, record setting Homer uh, was also there called uh, 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 Don Larson's perfect game of the world series. And then also, you know, Kirk Gibson's that iconic, you know, uh, uh, calling through his world series home run there too. Um, and then, you know, just the sheer irony too, that he was like, he grew up as a New York giants fan. Uh, and then he calls games <laughs> for, you know, several decades, right. For their arch rival, uh, you know, it was the Brooklyn Dodgers and now the, the LA Dodgers. So really an iconic life, uh, and, you know, great storyteller. We'll always love his voice, hearing it wherever, just talking about anything and, and, uh, you know, just listening to him, um, even for, you know, a couple of decades, uh, I, as I've been on this earth. So. But um, yeah, Pat, have any thoughts on on Vince Scully and his impact on baseball? Yeah, what a career. Uh, legendary voice. The Kirk Gibson call is just one of the most iconic calls I remember from old, you know, MLB VHS tapes they used to buy as a kid and stuff like that. So it's just like the, you know, can't believe what he just saw, um, which was pretty crazy with uh, Kirk Gibson's injury and comeback and, and walk off home for that for that game. But uh I think with Vin Scully, I think the thing that stands out for me is the fact that he did pretty much a monologue every single game and how he had enough to go on as both the play-by-play and color. Uh, I don't think we'll ever see it again. I don't know a sport or you know a podcast. <laughs> there's, there's just like there's not many things these days that will require one person, you know, standing, you know, maybe stand-up comedy is the only thing I can think of as a comparison, but it's like you know, to think that you're on the stage for three hours to cover a baseball game, that's a lot of pressure. And you just got to be, you know, smooth enough, uh, articulate enough, have enough, you know, in the well to go back to, to, you know, pull examples for for players or statistics or whatever else. So um, again, tip my cap to him. I don't think he'll, you know, be replaceable uh, for the LA Dodgers in the announce, you know, announcing uh, booth or even across MLB. It's hard to find, you know, characters that'll lead the next generation in play by play. I don't, I, you know, I like what, um, you know, the White Sox have now with, uh, Benetti. I, I think he's a, you know, he's a class act. I, li- I like his voice and he, I like his takes with Steve Stone. Um, but, you know, I, I just looking around, it's like hard to know. Like, is it a rod? Like, probably not. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, what do you think? Like, do you have anything more to say about that? I mean, I think you touched it. I I, I think that's uh that's great points. Uh, yeah, I do like Benetti. Uh, I it is great that he's getting national recognition, right? For Benetti, uh, you know, it's great that he's co- uh, calling like basketball games as well as baseball, getting national games as well. So I'm glad that people are able to uh, listen to him, and I'm glad that the White Sox are like, hey, you know, we have a great announcer. Uh, let's let's get him out there. Um, it only promotes really. Uh, the White Sox in general, and it also promotes like Benetti just as somebody you want to listen to and and call games. So, um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Like, how how can anybody, like one person, just talk about a sport uh, like baseball, which can definitely be slow moving, all and have it not feel awkward? You know, that's the whole thing with Vince Scully. He just dictated that really well. Was very articulate. You never felt rushed. You you just felt like you know time was was kind of sitting still. And he was telling that story or any of his stories, really. And you just felt like you were kind of at peace and at home 
just uh, being in the aura. He really matched the aura of baseball, I think, and um, he definitely will be missed. But um, yeah, so I, I guess transition towards, you know, speaking of Benetti and the White Sox and uh, the, the team that, you know, we're both wearing hats for and everything. Um, you know, they they did make a, a trade, you know, for reliever uh, Jake Diekman and uh, have, you know, that was basically it. And I know Rick Hahn was like, yeah, that's all we did. Sorry, guys. <laughs> type, of, <laughs> type of thing there, right? So, um, yeah, just, I guess, I'd like to hear what your thoughts, Pat, on where they sit now. What are your, you know, do you think that they'll make a, a push for the postseason? Uh, you know, are they good enough to to make that run? Or, you know, where, where do you think they are right now? I think they're in a good place. I don't think they're in a great place uh, with Tim Anderson hitting the shelf now for four to six weeks. I mean, again, it goes back to our narrative about the White Sox this entire year. It's like you got your lineup. I think we were all excited for the Rangers series. We had our lineup and then it's just like that happens. So it's like, I don't know, it's another gut punch, but I still think we're in this race. I, you know, I like our rotation. Uh, just about as much as anyone in the AL Central. I, you know, the Twins actually seem to be trending down since the All-Star break. You know, they've allowed us and the Guardians to get back in it. I think the Guardians are tied up top with the Twins. But, you know, guys like Joe Ryan um, are starting to fade a little bit. I mean, they're younger starters. They don't have the endurance or the experience to kind of put together a full season as of yet. I mean, the potential's there. But, um, you know, that's been issue one. Um, you know, Guardians, I, I just don't think they have as much thump as we potentially do. The problem is, is I always talk about the potential and it's like our offense has really been holding us back. Uh, you know, not driving in guys when we have, you know, second and third zero out one out, we had a, you know, bases loaded situations, you know, tonight against the Royals with one out didn't score a run. So those have been kind of the big problems. I see, you know, base running we've talked about in the past, but, uh, you know, before we hopped on here, uh, we talked about, you know, a couple of the bright spots. Uh, why don't you kick it off in terms of uh, of those bright spots and other things you, you know, like about the Sox and and also maybe what you think as, you know, the final situation with the AL Central this year among those three teams? Yeah, no, I think uh, I, I definitely like the, the bright spots of uh, Johnny Cueto where, you know, I was like, oh, he's, he's still around. He's still – he's not <laughs> – firmly retired or anything like that. I was like, okay, that's good. You know, former, like, uh, I remember him pitching in with the, the giants and, and reds, uh, several years ago and everything. I was like, oh yeah, he's, this guy could, he's definitely much more fin- of a finesse type of pitcher. So I think, you know, the, those type of players, uh, tend, tend to last a little bit longer. So, you know, uh, glad that we were able to pick him up and he's definitely been a big contributor. Um, Dylan Cease, obviously like, Mr. Like he ought to have been a Cy Young all-star and get all the accolades. And was it like uh pitched at least six innings, one runs, like, you know, a bunch of K's and stuff like that. Like mo- more than any player, like in history of baseball or something like that. Uh, yeah. Just been a, a stud for us this season. Um, and uh, you know, Abreu's played really well. Uh, his on-base percentage, like, you know, you always kind of look at the on-base percentage versus the batting average. He's definitely been, a lot more discipline at the plate this season. Uh, but, you know, kind of apart from that, though, in the lineup, really there just hasn't been too much, uh, too many players uh, um, showing up or just been healthy. I think that's been the whole thing, you know, with Tim Anderson, right? So, uh, you know, those have been, I think, the unfortunate things uh, so far. Um, yeah, Guardians and Twins, 
player, you know, teams that I think both of us like, oh, you know, maybe they, they could make a run here for sure. Uh, even though we were both pretty optimistic on the White Sox uh, entering the season, maybe not as much uh, at the moment, but you know, uh, yeah, Guardians. Guardians, if I had to pick between the Guardians and the Twins where they're at right now, like and versus the White Sox, I want to say the the White Sox, man, let's let's get this going, right? We're only I think a one and a half games back at the moment to date. So uh, you know, again, for whatever reason, it's like whether we want to blame La Russa or just the, the players and how they're being managed and, you know, nobody's really staying up to be a leader and holding each other accountable, like all of that. Uh, we're kind of like, maybe, Hey, we have enough talent just to like uh, maneuver ourselves into the playoff piece. Um, I'm hoping that's the case. I'm still hoping that's the case. Um, if I did have to pick, I guess, between guardians and the twins to, upseed us uh going into the second half i don't know uh i did i did pick the twins as my dark horse so i might go with them that being said you know jose ramirez is like kind of an mvp in a way uh you know so but yeah those are my, my initial thoughts yeah would love to hear what you think pat yeah i mean i i agree with your bright spots on our team i think andrew vaughn's another guy who's just put up a great sophomore campaign i love what's gonna you know what's gonna come for him in his future with the white Sox. i hope we hold on to him i hope we extend him at some point i hope we don't toss him in a trade uh needlessly for you know some sort of starting pitcher or something next year um i think they know that too i think they know he's a core part of this foundation especially with abreu kind of at the tail end of his career so hopefully you know Vaughn can take up first base in the future and and be that guy that we uh you know need as a cornerstone but he's already proving himself this year i think you know, just, just looking at bats like Mankata and Grandal, I mean, there's just been huge disappointments. I mean, we're counting on those guys to, you know, bat over 250, be on base, you know, 35% of the time, if that, you know, 20 home runs, 80 RBIs, something of the sort, and they've given us really none of that, you know, whether it's due to injuries or, you know, prolonged slumps or just, you know, maybe just showing that this is, uh, at least for Mankata, you know, I, I feel like Grandal's already had like an established, you know, floor for himself. And he's really underperformed that, but Mankata it's tough. Cause some years it's like, he shows you all the upside and then he'll come back with like a clunker of a season where he's injured and he bats like two fifty and stuff and doesn't really put up a lot of power. So it's like, it's just uh it's kind of head scratching when I look at the team, but uh, you know, the momentum and like, like you said, with the leadership has been, it's tough to gauge. Cause you know, we go into a series, um, you know, with the Rangers and, you know, I think we had won uh, a couple. If we did not split in Colorado, I think we won that series. I, I want to say we split in two. Then we go to Texas and we split there. And now we're with the Royals and we're splitting there. So it's just like, these are some teams that if you're a division winner, you've got to be winning, you know, three of four, two of three, two of two. I mean, you've got you've to start turning it up and showing us like you can get hot and get on a streak. And uh, they just haven't done that. Um, you know, my gut, honestly, like, I think the Guardians and the Sox look a lot alike this year, and they shouldn't have. The Sox should be such a better offensive team than that team. But, you know, it's kind of like with the Guardians, they're similar in that they're pretty top-heavy with guys, you know, like you, know, you said, a Jose Ramirez, or, you know, they've had, you know, Andres Jimenez break out, Ahmed Rosario's broken out. 
Um, Owen Miller kind of tailed off after the second, you know, the second half or whatever, but it's like, they're a little top heavy in their offense, but their pitching is, is just, is really good with Bieber McKenzie. Um, please gets the job done. Um, you know, it just seems like they can go a little bit deeper in the rotation than us at the moment. And they've got, you know, class A at the end of the, um, you know, bullpen is just kind of like closing everything out. Probably one of the best relievers in baseball. So I don't know. They just look like a team that's a little bit more motivated to win this year to take it. Um, I might have to like choose the guardians, unfortunately, but I don't think that we're out of it. I don't think we're going to tail off and just crumble. I think it's going to be like, maybe we end up four or five games over 500 and the guardians are seven or eight. And it's just like, all right, well, that was the, that was the big climax of this year, you know, the AL central. And then, you know, whatever team gets into the playoffs are going to be like a first round exit. So yeah. I don't know, man. Um, all that said, I still, you know, really like our core. Um, mm-hmm. We need a lot of work to be done. I think after this season, just kind of like mm-hmm. reassess and retool, but I still, think we have too many good players and pieces to just say hey it's you know our run is over you know yeah no i i agree and my hope my hope is that yeah the the white sauce just get hot we've been like oh hey maybe we should try now type of thing and then all of a sudden you know carry a lot of momentum going into the postseason and win the world series right just like go all (laughs) you know you know barely 500 make the squiggle our, our way into the playoffs and then just uh, I mean, we have the talent. We have just we have just as much talent. Even we even when we didn't really make any big trades during the trade trade deadline, like we have all the talent or potential. I know we've tossed that word a bunch. Uh, potential talent uh, just to like you know show uh, to to show up and everything and win games, but uh, they just haven't. You know, I, I think there was like a meme of like uh, or a joke on Twitter it was like, uh, oh yeah. Uh, you know what would happen if Juan Soto like joined the White Sox? It's like, oh, he'd probably be batting like have an OPS under seven hundred and like, you know, like not not bat any runs and stuff like that. Like, there's something but with our aura right now, or you know, the baseball gods just hate us uh, for mm-hmm. whatever it be. But it's like, you know, hey, maybe Mokana can get hot. Maybe we do all of a sudden start to get a little bit more healthy, right? Which kind of been doing, and then we hit the Tim Anderson thing, right? Which has been a bummer, but. You know, uh, I think it's like what six weeks, so it's like he would be basically coming back, like you know, September-ish, right? So you know, right, 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 you know, when we're trying to make that push. So if that's the case, then okay, we'll take it, we'll take it, and um, hopefully, yeah, the pitching and bullpen, uh, 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 you know, stick together, and we and the hitting comes. Uh, Eloy's been, you know, raking it more so of Lake. So if if he can maintain that momentum heading into the postseason, and people just get on base for him to, you know, uh, for him to knock in. So, like that, potentially, yeah, the White Sox could make a a case uh, for the for the playoffs. But it's really hard. Like I feel like it's you know they're they're going to have a disappointing season no matter what. But if they're able to make it the playoffs and make a run for you know. Hey, because like if you make the playoffs, uh, that's all. That's all that matters. I feel like in baseball, uh, and then you can kind of go from there. Uh, home field advantage, you know. White Sox have a better record uh, away right now, so you know maybe it's overrated for the White Sox for whatever reason. Uh, so or the home cooking just isn't as good for you know. I don't know. So it's there's something that's just odd about this baseball team that I'm like, 
something is like they got it's kind of like our economy i don't know it's like is it good is it bad like i don't know we're still in it so you know there hasn't been anybody that's just smashed the you know the button that's like this this season this economy is done over with or whatever right so yeah, yeah i i feel like yeah that that's i think the best of analogy as i can get there so but yeah i'm i want to be optimistic but yeah it's it's hard to cheer for this season right now so yeah i mean to a lesser extent they're kind of you know this past season's version of the los angeles lakers i mean mm. i don't think the expectations maybe were as high as what the Lakers had going into the year. I mean, we thought, I mean, we did think definitely playoffs. I mean, we were contemplating world series when we had that preseason uh, predictions episode still available online. If you want to check that out. Um, But with the Lakers, it was just kind of like they completely, you know, kind of gas, you know, gassed out and all along as we were going through that season, we're like, okay, they're towing around 500. They're towing around 500. They're towing around 500. And it was just like, is is this Lakers team ever going to really take off? I mean, they got AD, they got LeBron, they got Westbrook, but it was like a combination of the three didn't really work out together. Then you'd have, you know, injuries for extended periods to, you know, LeBron and AD. So it's kind of like, I kind of feel like we're in those same shoes where it's just like, we think we're good. We think we're great. And then it's just like, but in reality, we got to kind of accept reality at some point. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're almost halfway through August. Um, Again, we still have a puncher's chance. We're not out of we're not even two games out of first place, which is just ludicrous, to be honest with you. But it's like I don't know. I'm uh I'm just going with my gut. I think again it's gonna be really close, but uh yeah, it's just been a disappointing year to say the least. Yeah. Do do you think the White Sox pick somebody up either at shortstop or wherever for like Tim Anderson just for like the, the month or like, you know, uh yeah, just wondering who do you think or do you think uh What's his name? Just hit a homer. Uh, was it yesterday or something like that? Uh, Lennon Sosa. Yeah, Lennon Sosa. Yeah, Sosa on the White Sox. Are we going to trade him again or what? So never yeah. trade a Sosa twice. I mean, any, any <laughs> smart man knows that. But uh, no, I saw Didi Gregorius got um, released by the Phillies. Um, he would be a veteran minimum contract, a guy who obviously hit twenty plus bombs year after year with the Yankees. He is in his uh, early thirties, so. You know, maybe his range is a little uh, uh, lackluster at this point at shortstop or, you know, his hitting was he was around 220, I think, when they got released. Not a lot of pop for the Phillies. And I think he got uh, um, basically released in favor of uh, Bryson Stott as the younger shortstop for them. But uh, the only other guy I was thinking was on the other side of town, uh, the north side, Andrelton Simmons. Um, great defender uh, in his prime, obviously, like one of the best. But I don't know if his defensive chops are still at that kind of elite level. Um, his hitting tool is he's probably under 200 at this point too. It's just kind of like, do you just want to throw, you know, a veteran in there just to, you know, bring some more experience or, you know, just see if they've got anything left in the tank. Like I'm kind of fine with that. If you want to sign DD and just like split time with Lennon, that's fine. But uh, I'm encouraged by what Lennon's shown so far. I mean, um, you know, in the high minors, he was batting, you know, 315 with a, you know, near 400 uh, OBP. And, you know, he had some power and some speed and he was really young. And it's like, why not? Just give him a shot and see what he can do. I mean, it's uh, kind of sink or swim at this point for our entire team. But uh, you know, we just need to bring some energy and life into a, a team that just looks like it's, you know, just running out of gas. I mean, Lance Lynn's been a complete nightmare. And I, I'm still kind of holding out hope. I mean, he, 
actually was born on the exact same day as me in the exact same year. So we were like birthday twins. He's 35 years old, but it's like, I'd like to think there's like a couple more good seasons left in him. And this is just totally not him. Yeah, no, I like those. I like those two picks, uh, Amblitzen and DD. Um, yeah, what I wish, what I have wished it was like four years ago or something. <laughs> yeah. Right. But Hey, we'll take him right now. Uh, you know, Angleton, yeah, his definitely his range. He doesn't has the same range. Like I remember just like he's like he was like the one player you would just watch YouTube clips of someone's defense, and it was like this is amazing, right? So, um, but yeah, it just doesn't have that range anymore, and is not the same hitter. So it's like maybe we do just take a fly on that. But I'm definitely open to you know, like, hey, let's see what this kid Lennon Sosa's got. Um, just check out his numbers. Uh, yeah, hit pretty well uh, out of. Uh, Birmingham, uh, it was at 330 uh, out of like, 62 games there. So, you know, pretty solid numbers, 14 homers, 48 RBIs. So, hey, if 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 we can get a facsimile of that, great. And then, uh, you know, for at least a month until basically uh, uh, Tim Anderson comes back. So, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm definitely open to all that, the competition, just having somebody to, you know, get some options there and Hopefully the other pieces around uh, around him, uh, you know, start to pick up with Moncada. Uh, I don't know if Yasmani can at all or Grandal. So if you know if he can just get to maybe two hundred or whatever, yeah, that'd be great. Or have like you know four hundred OBP, whatever. Uh, but yeah, you know, I'm open to both of those moves. I think. Uh, and then, yeah, any other pitching help we can get uh, from the other starters too uh, would be great uh, to, to yeah, not make it lean on Cease and Johnny Cueto uh, essentially right now. So, yeah. For sure. Um, you know, there was a lot more going on uh, in the MLB a few weeks ago at the trade deadline. Um, obviously, you caught it. You saw the big move. Soto going on over to uh, Padres for – you know, just a huge package of uh, prospects um, and some pro players. But, uh, you know, what did you think of that deal? Or, you know, were, were, were there any other deals that stood out to you as being, you know, potentially really impactful for any team that's kind of heading into the postseason this year? You know, kind of that missing piece that they were looking for. Yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm so I'll, I'll answer like the teams that I think made a great trades. Uh, I I kind of was wondering, but also was kind of excited about the Yankees in a way. Uh, you know, uh, I, I I think the one thing was the Bader trade, right? I don't know if you saw that. It was like Bader for Montgomery. Um, Montgomery mm-hmm. has like a really, like he he's he's had a really good year. Uh, I think he's like a 3.3 some odd ERA, which Yankee Stadium, that's really solid. And then traded him for Bader. And I'm like, wait, what, what are they going to do with Bader and all? But Bader's a really right. good def- defensive player. Um, and so I, I think they could you certainly utilize his range, you know, with standing kind of more so being DHing and you know, judge, uh, and yeah, you know, yeah, kind of filling out the outfield a little bit more there. So, uh, I think that that's solid. And then they also got uh, Benintendia, I believe, too, right? Uh, so you know, I, I think those are great pickups. Their pitching has been solid, I think, so much so that they felt comfortable getting rid of Montgomery. So, I kind of like what they did. And I think they were my pick to go to the world series or, or the, the playoffs, I believe, or that win that division. And they're definitely heading that direction. So um, I'm excited about the Yankees and kind of what they were able to do and getting more range in the outfield. 
uh, for themselves there. So, uh, but then, yeah, the big blockbuster of Juan Soto, right? Um, I, I I think I was actually excited to see also Bell going over to uh, the Padres too. Uh, he's on my fantasy team, but uh, I know, yeah, Padres, yeah, not no, not always like they're not always well known for like being the most hitter friendly ballpark, but uh, you know, with that squad, I think he'll get more RBIs maybe and all that. So uh, I, I think that was a great trade for the Padres, in my opinion. They definitely get, got rid of um, some, you know, was it Mackenzie Gore, right? And some other players like that are like major, either major league ready or like highly touted prospects. Uh, and I think we were talking about this before. It was like they are going to get Juan Soto for several seasons. And then they also got Bell uh, for, you know, actually I don't know his contract, but they got Bell too. He's a really solid first baseman there. Uh, and they got rid of Hosmer, right? So, uh, you know, I, I think that those were great moves. Bell's having a great season. Uh, Juan Soto's Juan Soto, so he's going to do his thing there. And he's kind of already, uh, you know, making a little bit of a ruckus there too, uh, doing his whole uh, his dance and everything at some pitchers. So uh, making a ruckus over at the NL, so at the NLS. So uh, I think it was a good solid over trade. It was definitely it was not, it was a pretty steep price, but uh, in I, I think if I'm the Padres, though, like, hey, if you're going to take a swing and that now might be a good time to do it uh, with Manchado and Tatis, like, you know, with the, where they are at their careers, why not build off, uh, you know, this core right here uh, on top of the pitching that they have? So uh, definitely a ballsy move, but I'm kind of like, hey, why not? I think it's I think it makes sense for them. So, yeah, it's the right time to make a decision that massive. You know, it's uh the counter to what we've said about the Bears with the, you know, Trubisky trade and the, uh, you know, Khalil Mack trade at the time. It's kind of like, well, you're, you're selling the the farm for a chance to be a playoff team. And it's like, that's not that's not the goal. The goal is to win it all and to, you know, to do some real damage once you get to October. So to me, I saw that deal as a win-win. Um, obviously, the Nationals, you wanted Soda to be a part of your mix, you know, forever. Um, but he said no. And for obvious reasons, we covered on the last episode. Um, you know, I think the package itself though, is just like, it's incredible. And then every, every analyst that I've listened to, um, he was talking about the pieces that, you know, came back to Washington in this deal. They all said that every single minor leaguer is going to touch the pros. I mean, that's something that like hardly any analyst is going to kind of guarantee for you, but, you know, just going through some of them, you know, CJ Abrams is a shortstop. You know, he's a first round pick. He's 21 years old. He's already sniffed the majors. Um, just a good average OBP guy. He's got some speed. He's kind of the centerpiece in this deal. Um, they got Robert Hassel back um, as well. He's a 20 year old left-handed hitting outfielder. Another first round pick with some pop and speed. You know, he grades out pretty high in the top 100 prospects. I think he's within like the top 20 or so. Um, they got Mackenzie Gore, who, you know, we're familiar with. We've covered on the last um, you know, a couple shows when we talked about MLB awards. I mean, he was in the mix for the rookie of the year conversation before, you know, hurting his elbow a little bit. Um, he's 23 years old. He's a first round pick too. And he put up a 450 ERA this year. And that ERA, I don't think is truly representative of what he's kind of given the Padres because a lot of his, you know, clunker of starts came when he had, you know, some injury concerns. So um, I think he's got a bright future ahead once he gets, uh, you know, through that, through that issue. And then um, there were two guys that were pretty much no-namers that you know, nobody would really think about, but they got a 19-year-old kid named James Wood. He's an outfielder. 
he stands six seven. He batted three hundred in the minors and hit. Um, I think it was eleven home runs and two hundred two hundred at bats. But they say this guy's got you know incredible power. Uh, I think he was a second round pick too, but just a, like a really bright you know future ahead. They they project him to be a pro player. And then they got a kid named Harleen Susanna, who is 18 years old. He has 48 Ks and 31 innings in the minors. They say he touches 100 as a reliever. I mean, 100 plays in the major leagues, no matter what your ERA is <laughs> coming out of the minors. So, um, and and last but not least, they got Luke Voigt, um, 31 year old, serviceable, you know, first baseman. He's controllable till the end of 2024. He led the MLB in home runs in the shortened 2020 season. Uh, he was just looking for an opportunity to play every day. I think that was the reason why he got pissed, you know, when he was platooning with Rizzo with the Yankees and now Hosmer with Padres, just like, he's basically saying like, give me my opportunity. And yes, yeah, his, his production's kind of wavered over that time period since 2020, but in the same sense, I mean, there's still some juice left in him, I think. And you put him in the middle of the Nats order as they continue to grow. Uh, I think he's just a guy you can use as a trade ship down the road too, and get maybe like another prospect or two. So you know, think Juan Soto and, uh, you know, for Josh Bell, he's, he's going to be free after this year. So it's just a, you know, a 2022 rental, but, uh, but, but, you know, obviously, like you said, Bell's uh, extremely productive player will be awesome for them in the postseason. It's like you walk away from that whole deal and you basically see Soto going for five first or second round MLB picks, you know, that's, that's what it cost at the end of the day. And when we talked about, you know, the biggest trade, you know, the NBA history, the one that kind of like blew everyone's mind with Gobert and being four first round picks, you know, Soto got you five. So, you know, we talked about the Durant scenario in the last episode. Again, check it out on our podcasts or wherever else you're going to find it. But, uh, you know, our channels or whatnot. But um, it's just mind blowing, you know, and I think that's what the analysts came away from. You know, obviously Soto in the middle of the Padres order. And like you said, the pitching depth is there. They even got Josh Hader. Uh, in a trade that I actually didn't really like for the Padres, but I mean, just long-term speaking, but for now, I think that that's the right move. Um, that's a team that can win it. I mean, that's a team that can win it all. They got to get in and, you know, they got to beat the Dodgers who have just had their number. Um, but, you know, they did good on themselves too. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that sets them up really well. They haven't won a world series, right? Uh, yeah, they haven't won a world series. So I think ownership's like, uh, and they have a really great stadium. So, like, you know, they have all these combinations of things that's working for, like, they they do have an exciting team and everything, um, great stadium. But, you know, I think ownership or, hey, kudos to them. They're like, we haven't won a World Series yet. So let's go win a World Series now. <laughs> let's, who, who should we get? Juan Soto? All right, let's go Juan Soto. We've got to get rid Okay, that's a little bit steep, but we'll do it. And uh, so I think I'm glad that they're going all in. Um, yeah, haters are good pickup, too. Uh I forgot who he got traded for, but I think I read a, an analysis where they, you know they're both lefties, kind of similar uh, like ERAs and, and innings pitch and all that. So Taylor uh, Rogers, yeah, yeah, Taylor Rogers, that's right. But uh, I, I know uh, Hater definitely is like, you know, I think he's made for Petco more so, <laughs> yeah, more so, right? So uh, I think that's I think that he's just a better fit for them, um, especially heading into I think you know. A, looks to be possibly like a, a deep playoff run if they're able you know to put everything together there so ah i'm i would be excited for if i'm a Padres fan definitely much more excited than i'm a white Sox fan now so yeah <laughs> yeah it was too bad the i mean with where the Sox are if we made the move to get soto obviously 
probably jump out of our seats just in excitement overall. But, you know, thinking about the cost, what would it cost us and where would it bring us to have a guy like Soto if we like emptied out whatever farm we had or whatever other like starting put maybe it would be an Andrew Vaughn situation plus, mm-hmm. you know, Cespedes, Colas, maybe, you know, Kopech. I don't know who they'd want for Soto. It'd be, it'd be massive. It'd be so it's like, yeah, it'd be a, a Chicago Bears situation, which, you know, we've been trying, I, I think we should avoid. And I thought the Deakman move, although it's kind of lame and it was like, okay, we wanted more. And I think, yeah, getting a more athletic outfielder would have been nice or, you know, obviously maybe an infield replacement because now, we're dealing with minor leaguers or veterans and, you know, up the middle, it's like, that would have been kind of nice, but uh, I didn't hate the fact that we didn't like do a lot. Cause we are kind of cap strapped. And then we also just don't have like a lot of pieces or parts to like right. package for some real talent. And it's, we're just kind of in a bad yeah. situation where all of our prospects graduated, which we've discussed, but it's just like, we don't have a lot of wiggle room. So I wasn't um, too surprised. Right. And, I like Deekman as a uh, as a lefty yeah. uh, setup guy. Yeah, for sure. And you know, I I I I definitely agree with that. It's like, and it's probably what Rick Hahn like. You know, there's been a lot of hate, I guess, on Rick Hahn about like, oh yeah, he didn't do anything. He he kind of admitted himself like, yeah, we sorry guys, we didn't do anything or whatever. So probably was disappointed. And I don't know if he, you know, it's always that like, what were we in the Juan Soto uh, uh, race or whatever? But then. I, I, that point of like what were what what are we gonna get rid of right like are we, are we gonna get rid of uh least robert like or i don't right. know what yeah like who are we, who do you want to get rid of and then that's a hole there so i don't know um and yeah obviously the padres just have more ammunition to get rid of like you know they got rid of all these players and then oh yeah by the way they still have a lineup <laughs> and pitching so that so they didn't get hurt too much and then yeah tatis is going to be coming back i think it's uh, maybe within the next few weeks now, right? So it's it, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, like the Padres were just better built, I think, to do this trade, which is why it happened. Um, so I, I think it makes sense on on their side. Uh, but yeah, back to the White Sox, I guess it, it is a little bit disappointing. But I think Rick Hahn, at least, you know, he's probably. I'm hoping yeah, he's definitely thinking probably long term of like. We have all these assets, like we have, you know, we've talked about this, but like they, they're so talented, like one through nine, right? But you know, maybe some defensive liabilities here and there with like Andrew Vaughn in the outfield a little bit. I think he has like a minus ratio there for his defensive war. But other than that, like you know, we do have a talented team. It's just uh, injuries and underperformance of anywhere near their potential has just been kind of inhibiting us a little bit. So, um, yeah. Not yeah. to mention we're you know we're an historically cheap. Uh, team when it comes down to it it's not like we're handing out massive deals to you know we didn't land harper we didn't land machado uh what would Mm -hmm. it cost us to land soto for 10 15 years like we don't have that kind of money so it's like are we really playing for two to three years or if we're the white Sox, you know more equipped like a minnesota twins oakland a's tampa Bay race maybe to a, a greater extent we spend more than them but it's kind of that thought process thing we're starting to transition in as a franchise. And honestly, I think Rick Hahn, although he traded Tatis for James Shields, which is probably one of the worst trades in MLB history. Uh, I think he's done a good job at getting us past the 2010, you know, the 2010s, that whole era of just terrible baseball. I thought he made some great trades with the Red Sox, you know, trade. I mean, Kopech, uh, Mankata, and that one, the one with Eaton, where he got Dunning, Ronaldo Lopez, Giolito, 
You know, he signed uh, a lot of our rookies to extensions uh, that are pretty controllable for us. I mean, little ballsy because we probably could have spent some of that money on some major league talent to to go with them. But uh, still, we locked those guys up past, you know, the core prime years, which we wouldn't have done if they stayed on the rookie deals and we let them walk. So mm-hmm. there are some things that he does right. I mean, I think there's some, you know, innovative things that 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 Hans brought to the table as a GM. I mean... I still, again, like, I think he didn't make moves because he's like, look, like, we're either going to sink or swim with this core and this whole roster that I put together. And, you know, I know you guys want one or two or three more pieces, but we just can't mortgage more of our future. We don't right. have any money left. Like, I'm kind of stuck. And, like, yeah. you know, I need these guys who I paid to play the way that they're, you know, they're supposed to play to some of their averages. And you don't you don't walk into a year expecting, you know, again, Mancata, Grandal, uh, Robert, Eloy Jimenez, uh, Tim Anderson to just the output isn't there. If you look at all those guys, I mean, it's mm. just the total output of what they were supposed to do just wasn't there. Yeah. And that's definitely affected the season so far. And then it's like, you know, definitely the optimist in this is like, yeah, we're only what, one and a half games still out still. So <laughs> again, like, yeah, yeah. Like this is, this is like the, like, can it get worse? Like this is literally the worst, like the white Sox could possibly be playing. Like if you were to, Tell me that Moncano is going to be batting under 200 under the Mendoza line in August or whatever. Like, I would be like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, he's got a great swing, right? So, yeah, like something's got to give. I definitely want to say, like, yeah, the White Sox got to make a push, like, you know, from the scientific law of averages. But good God, like they're definitely pushing it right now. And, um, you know. We, we we've definitely we both met Rick Hahn before, right? Like <laughs> yeah. he seems like a pretty decent guy and all. Uh, but yeah, like he I I I don't blame Rick Hahn for you know what's happened. I, I I know there's been talk about that a little bit, but you know, given the variables, like given Reinsdorf and what everything he's you know, but definitely been notorious for being a little you know, uh holding people holding uh, contracts back a little bit. Uh you know, uh so if if that's who you're kind of dealing with and, you know, those are the cards you're dealing with, but like, Hey, you know, you, I like how you did mention all these contracts and like, you know, similar, I think, I think basically the, uh, the Braves, I think copied what we were doing with regards to signing our, our young players, uh, you know, for extended periods of time, even though they didn't like have like a full season, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, we would rather pay $5 million or, you know, you know $8 million for a player that could potentially like, you know, and five years after their uh, their whole MLB service thing, right? Ask for twenty million dollars or thirty million dollars, right? Like get them under control there, and they're they're gonna have maybe a little bit of loyalty staying with you because you showed them the money when they were young and a little bit more improvement. So, um, but yeah, I know right now it's like, all right, well, you know, we gave you that money now, but <laughs> uh, can you show up a little bit more? Um, so yeah. Yeah, and that's but, the diff, and that's the difference. Mm-hmm. But I don't hate the approach, and uh, yeah. it just it just kind of sucks when a guy gets like slaughtered uh, because we didn't live up to like championship expectations this year. I mean, mm-hmm. I get it if he just was like a dog of a GM, and every year you're just like, God, like this guy's just completely you know uh, mm-hmm. inept and he's leading us down the wrong way. But I like the approach. That's why I'm not like. Mm-hmm up in arms about Rick Hahn this year. It's like, yeah, there's just, yeah, it's just hard. It's hard. It's hard to win. It's hard to create something like 
perfectly and then just have everything go according to plan. I mean, it's like, yeah. I think he's done his best job. Yeah. Like he, he, yeah, it's definitely the struggle. I think of thinking long-term versus, okay, I need to have a player right, you know, tomorrow and everything. Um, kind of like, you know, the whole uh, like Chapman and, you know, getting rid of Glamour Torres, right. You know, with the Cubs, uh, there's definitely like all that. It's like, okay, one year rental, but we're going to get rid of our top prospect. But you know, a closer, right, for the World Series, right? You want that. So um, I, I definitely get that whole, like, we want that impactful player, but if you got to think long-term, too, and, yeah, like, you know, our budget basically can't add any more players there. So what else, you know, we can't get a Juan Soto and ask, you know, get all the money that he wants and then also get rid of all the prospects and MLB-ready players that, he, that you know, the Padres would ask for. So um, I I agree. I agree. Uh, as uh, I guess boring as it is, sometimes boring is okay, though. Um, you know, and hopefully, yeah, we do make a playoff run and we yeah, win the World Series, and everybody, everybody plays up to their potential and gets healthy right at the end of the season. So that's all we can hope for, I think, right now as White Sox fans. Right. You know, last thing, and already touched on, but that year that we traded for James Shields, we gave up Fernando Tatis and we were in the kind of the same position that we are now, like a 500 team that even if they get in the playoffs, it's like, how good are we? You know, like this has been kind of a lost season. We're going in with a pretty fragmented roster. It's like, maybe the best thing is to do nothing, sit on some of the young talent that we have and just let's move into next year. Let's clean the slate. Maybe Tony retires. I don't know. Maybe he gets fired. Who knows? But it's like, um, you know, I don't think you have to be super drastic. There could be some tweaks we make in the offseason, but it's like, I just wouldn't go crazy about this year. Do, do, do you bring in Madden? Is that... <laughs> I, you know, I like Madden. I've always liked Joe Madden. Uh, he'd be a steady... I think he'd be a steady figure just to have in that clubhouse. Somebody who knows Chicago, um, you know, knows playoff baseball. He had a tough go in, with the Angels in the, at the end of his Cubs run, but... Uh, I mean, he's like Terry Francona to me. I mean, I think he's the kind of uh, veteran leader and just a like a you know a, a floor general. You kind of need like in the clubhouse and kind of understanding how baseball players operate. So I, I think he'd be a great. Uh, I think he'd be a great uh, bridge guy. If not, then maybe we you know dip into you know a younger type of uh, you know player manager of the past. Maybe it's like a AJ Pierzynski type or. Um, you know, just somebody with a little bit of fire, just a little bit more uh, Ozzy. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I can't even Ozzy, like, I can't even understand him like half as much now as I did in 2005. Like, I actually understood him in 05, but I'm just like listening to him actually critique our team. I'm like, man, this guy, like, I, I don't know, he's out of his mind on the Sox commentary, uh, in the, in the studio or whatever, but uh. Yeah, man, I don't want to go down the Aussie route again. I, I think uh, either you go with a vet manager or you find somebody who can really relate to players, uh, at a, a younger guy who can kind of grow with us, uh, who's got a little fire in their belly. I don't want to see Robin Ventura back in our dugout. He's literally like the worst manager I've ever seen. Um, but yeah, man, the, the organization uh, is a bit chaotic. It's not as chaotic as the uh, the other uh, sports organization in the city of Chicago with the uh, – the good old bears, the monsters of the midway. Um, Wayne, I, I want you to, to to kind of kick this one off, but uh, I think you were the one who flagged to me that uh, Roquan Smith has uh, requested a trade. There's some other details that go along with it, but but what do you think about 
Roquan and this whole story? What can you tell us? And then also, uh, what do you think about Pohl's decision to maybe to maybe not commit to Roquan? What do you think is in store for for Chicago and, and kind of their their player planning? Yeah, so basically Roquan requested a trade, like put it out on his like social media and everything, saying like, oh, uh, yeah, things we, we just can't align and everything. Like I love the Bears, I love Chicago and all that, but for whatever reason, you know, uh, yeah, we just can't do it. Uh, you know, they're not, he, he, he believes he's worth more and everything. So uh, I, I, it, it sounds like, you know, it's definitely a speculation and who knows what, who's, what words are true, but um, they're saying that like, he's asking for basically be the top uh, paid, you know, inside linebacker uh, or just linebacker in general in the NFL. And it's like, you know, what, $20 million for a linebacker. Uh it's like, are, is it is that really worth it? I, I think that's where a lot of people are going at, you know, especially where the Bears, where they're at right now. Uh, and it's like Roquan, yeah, great, great player, has definitely been, uh, you know, a staple on our defense. But, you know, a lot of people were throwing uh, the PFF rankings that he has. Like, he's all right. He's not that great. He's all right, though. So, uh, yeah, he's uh, – Poles has been – quoted and saying that they've offered a record setting contract and you know not exactly know what exactly what that means and go into full details whether it's like record setting you know contract for a linebacker with regards to uh you know maybe guaranteed money versus annual you know versus annual payment um and, and their salary uh so it's it, it didn't get he didn't get too specific there but Hey, if it's record setting for guaranteed, like, yeah, that's that's not a bad uh deal, Roquan. So, you know, he he's operating without an agent, which a lot of people have been like, maybe you should actually operate with an agent and and go that route, uh, at least for right now. So uh I think there's there's definitely been more of a push there of his lack of experience with regards to this, and maybe he was over in his head a little bit. So um I I think that's probably where it's going and it sounds like it sounds like everybody that knows football that you know i think former scouts that i follow uh you know uh, for the bears or people that have manager experience uh for other nfl organizations they've all been saying the kind of the same thing is like uh yeah uh roquan doesn't have that leverage (laughs) and he has also stated that he wants to be be with be a bear and also, it seems like Poles and the Bears want Roquan too. So I think what they're basically thinking is that there's way too much for both to lose for this for them not to have a deal and for them to both get what they want to move forth. Despite this, I guess you know uh, this Instagram post or whatever from Roquan of saying like, "Yeah, I just want to trade now." So, um, but yeah, and he just got removed from the pup list today, actually. So. Uh, and I think the idea is that he he would be fined also forty thousand dollars a day he doesn't show up. Um, I think Roquan's making right now I think like three million dollars or three to four million dollars I believe uh, for this coming season. So um, you know, hey, yeah, it's definitely a lot more money than both of us and everything. But at the same time, uh, you know, you know, when you're talking about contracts for NFL players, like hey, this this still counts, especially if you're thinking. You know, he's only going to be playing for maybe another decade, if most, right? You know, for linebackers, right? So, uh, so yeah, $40,000 a day. So, if he shows up tomorrow, we're shooting uh, this on a Wednesday night. So, uh, if Thursday night or if Thursday morning he shows up to uh, to practice, 
then this is all kind of forgotten. He's probably going to be signing a contract that is not the $20 million route. Probably, I think what a lot of people are saying, he's probably worth around $15 million, uh, give or take a few there. So, but yeah, what are your thoughts, Pat? What do you think about Roquan? And, you know, do you see him fitting in the future for the Bears? And do you think he's worth what he's kind of what he's asking for? Yeah, I mean, I, I heard at least on his contract that a lot of it was backloaded, which is what kind of got him bothered is that you're not you're not giving me fair value today and uh, I'll be worth more in the future than what you're going to have for me backloaded uh, in that deal. Um, I guess I guess from where I stand, uh, we're so bad that we're going to just need as much depth and as much uh flexibility i would say with with our spending and with you know what we're trying to do with our roster going forward that even though roquan smith is an absolute stud he's in his prime he's 25 years old he he wants to be there he's a clubhouse leader i mean he's got no marks against his record or anything like that it's just like you know a uh, professional or anything like that so it's kind of uh you know it's too bad to see a guy like that just kind of ushered out uh and I'm just, I'm not exactly sure what we can get for him in a trade too, because it's like when you got a guy who's on a contract year and this will be his first major contract, the team that gets him is going to have to pony up for that. But in the same sense, they're like, okay, we have to pay up for this guy, but in the same sense, that's going to cut the value that you get back. So it's like, what can we really expect? Is it a second rounder? Is it a second and a third? I mean, what, what could it really be? Um, you know, so it's 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 a little frustrating to not know, you know, I guess who's going to be left on our roster to to make us like a viable football team for the next, you know, three to five years. I mean, I'd imagine Roquan would have been a part of that strategy. But the other part of me just thinks like this is Ryan Poles coming in year one, doing a lot of crazy things that, you know, us traditionalists or, you know, people that have watched the Bears for a while are just like, watch football it's like some of the stuff's a little head scratching it's like don't you want to build up the line like don't you want to get your young quarterback some weapons this year um don't you want to you know sign a long-term extension to your top linebacker uh why is your you know top defensive end pissed off <laughs> and he wants out too now it's just like you got rid of the whole d line like we're all confused like what what did you do at the draft you know you you got a couple secondary guys like what, what's going on like what are you doing ryan poles so Again, like a Rick Hahn situation, I'm I'm cool with just letting this play out this entire year. I think we are going to be behind the the Jamal Williams led Lions, who's uh, crying in the huddle about how you know they hate <laughs> being a three win team last year. I I could see us being worse than the Lions this year, honestly. Um, and you know maybe we stink. We get you know some high draft picks this year. You know this upcoming season and the next one after that. Um, and then we also have the money. And I think that's what Poles is trying to do. He's trying to create like the most cap space in NFL history to just create his master plan. So while I'd hate to see Rokon leave in my conclusion, um, I'm so intrigued by what Ryan Poles is doing, whether it's the smartest thing in the world or the most epic, you know, string of failures that we'll find out in the next two or three years. Yeah, I know he's always stated Polis has always said he wants to build through the draft. Um, but then it's like, how much do you want to build through the draft? Do you want to get rid of all like all your players? Like, you know. <laughs> uh yeah. So that's definitely where, you know, it's like 
it's definitely it's kind of almost a mixture of like the Bears are used to having also a middle linebacker. I feel like you know every single year, every mm-hmm. decade, there's always some sort of you know linebacker that is uh, as a stud. So you know if we're gonna just get rid of one and then oh yeah, we're just gonna see uh, uh, if we can get another one, just like draft another one and be totally fine, right? Um, maybe it is that easy for the Bears. I don't know. There's something in the water the Bears to get. Uh, great uh, linebackers, just like it is easy apparently for the the Green Bay Packers to keep on getting really great Hall of Fame quarterbacks. So, mm-hmm. you know, if that is the case, then okay, maybe we just do that. And you know, the linebacker position, modern day NFL, has been a little bit more devalued than in years past, just because you know lack of running and such. Now, uh, with the devaluation essentially of 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 running backs too, so. Uh, you know, there's a lot to be said, I guess, with regards to that and how the devaluation of the linebacker position has kind of a hurt the Bears then the franchise, if that's the case. But then also, um, you know, it, it hurts Wilpon's value uh, in terms of like, oh, yeah, we can just get rid of you and you're totally replaceable. So you might as well just accept whatever, you know, $10 million contract that we give you, you know, if you really want to stay and really want to be part of a winning team. But, uh, you know. I think he has also stated that he doesn't want to also ruin the linebacker market. So it's like he's, I guess, framing like he's trying to also stick for, you know, maybe the NFL PA has kind of helped him out in his process and be like, yeah, man, you like, you can't, you can't just be cheap for, uh, for the Bears. So, um, so maybe there's all that, but, you know, if Roquan goes, it'll be sad. It honestly will be. I think he's a great player. He's, probably our best player honestly right now so mm-hmm. but you know they got rid of kill a mac they got rid of a bunch of players it seems it's like maybe he just wants to blow it up and then i'm like how how can you win with justin fields though i think is the biggest question how can you develop even with whatever makeshift defense that you think Eberflus can uh, put together so i think all those are like i don't know how the bears can have a winning season going into the season uh with Justin Fields like developing and to be a legitimate a legitimate starter, you know, week one, you know, he's gonna be a starter type of player. And then also having like a formidable defense that can maybe, you know, uh push them forth so that they can maybe, you know, be around five hundred, I think is what uh a realistic uh Bears fan is uh, hopeful for, but maybe not realistic in in and of itself. So yeah. yeah. I think to one of your points, I think maybe Pulse has an idea of who, like which positions are of most value and where he's willing mm-hmm. to spend the most resources. So maybe he's already, you know, figured out this master plan in his mind. Like I'm going to go after top ends. I'm going to go after top corners. I'm going to go after, you know, if, if fields doesn't work out, I want to have money at the Q position. Maybe it's wide receivers, no tackle, whatever it is. I think he's got some sort of like, you know, process. Maybe he's learned with the Kansas city chiefs where he's like, this is how we're going to be successful down the road. So I'm willing to be patient. I'm willing to see it out. Um, at my age, I don't think about the individual player. I always think about like how the organization goes about stuff now. Like, yeah. you want to trade our best player? That's all right. Tell me what we're getting back. Because like, if we're getting back some interesting stuff, like I'm always down to listen. Whereas when I was a kid, you know, would cry when I saw you know Maglio or Donia showing the door or whoever else, you know, stuff like that. But um, um, the other only other point I would think is uh, just from polls career and uh you know his ability to stay in a gm role i think 
never really hurts to push the goalposts back a couple of years, you know, <laughs> like yeah. never really hurts to be like, Hey, we're going to suck for a while. Uh, give me time. <laughs> Cause I feel like we've seen that with, uh, you know, the past uh, administration and then, you know, just looking around the league, I feel like um, AJ Preller for the Padres made like a bunch of trades for like BJ Upton, all these other players. Like it didn't make sense then, but then the team sucked. He had to like reboot and he's like, just give me time. And that, like that reboot took like five years to get him to their current course. Just like, so, I mean, maybe he's doing it. I, I would hate to say he is, but like I'd go with point A, but I think, uh, you know, maybe there's some strategy there to moving the goalpost back for himself. But uh, I just think it's going to be a painful year in Chicago for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm leaning towards more painful than, than what we expect or than what sometimes bear Twitter, I feel like always says like Justin Fields is basically Jesus. Like he can do no wrong. Like, Oh, look at this per- perfect, perfect spiral pass that he threw in training camp or something like that. It's like, yeah, that's expected. That's the bare minimum. Like this, <laughs> I, I feel like Bears fans uh, standards are way too low. Like, no, like you need to be legitimate. Like this, this is basic stuff. And, you know, you also be need- needing to surround your quarterback and protect your quarterback. So um, I am very optimistic about Braxton Jones. It sounds like he's killing it at training camp. I think. There's a lot of optimism. It sounds like he's going to be the starting left tackle uh, opening day, basically, for the Bears. So I I think I said that I liked him coming out uh, of the draft. So uh, we'll see if that is true and he actually does show up. But, um, yeah, there's just a lot of things that I think need to go in, into the Bears for this season to be, like, a winning season. I think some – I don't know, I feel like some a lot of Bears fans are like they're they're gonna win the the Super Bowl or something like that. Or it's like, no, I they're not. Like I, I will bet, yeah, like you know, whatever. Who money. are these Bears fans? I don't know. <laughs> who like, to? Who, who's he gonna <laughs> throw it to? You think Pringles no. is gonna get a thousand yards? You think like I think they just play too much damn Madden. Like, no, come yeah. on, people go. Um, but I do like your point about yeah, I don't I don't buy jerseys anymore until they retire. I think that's the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I bought I bought the last jersey Bears jersey at least I bought was uh Peanut Tillman. So I was like, okay, he's retired. Okay, okay, he's done. All right, he spent that one year I think in uh Carolina, right? It's like, okay, now I'm going to buy his jersey cuz he's an awesome player and awesome dude. So, yeah. Um I got but, an Alshon Jeffrey jersey for $18. Sucks. Uh he went to South Carolina. He was a Bear at one point and uh I believe I got a Youth XL, which is like a men's <laughs> medium. So it's kind of funny. It's like the funniest jersey, but 18 bucks. Like, had to do it. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, there's a ton of that going around. It's like, how many seasons did Alshon play? Like, I think did, I think we did we trade him or he signed with, I think it was the Eagles, like after mm-hmm. his rookie contract ran out for the Bears. So it's like, you know, the NFL, honestly, as a GM, like every player is disposable. And this previous offseason really kind of showed that like russell wilson like he owns seattle <laughs> he had mm-hmm. but they're like hey guess what you know we're not going to be going you know the the seahawks were like we're not going to be going anywhere uh with your contract taking up all the cap space and everything and they got rid of him and uh uh his his version of himself on the defensive end with uh bobby wagner in the same offseason so yeah there's no loyalty this isn't a game well it kind of is a game but for a GM in the NFL, it's like they're all pawns. Like these are all pawns for all everything I'm trying to do because I want a job. I want to keep this job, and in order to do that, I need to you know maneuver the cap space and uh, you know plug holes and get value where I can. So yeah, I don't know. I'll be interested. I'll be sad to see if Roquan leaves, but 
Uh, honestly, it sounds like uh, Poles, too, just wants to kind of get through this season and build up draft capital where he can. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, speaking of pawns, uh, we flip over to the NBA. Seems like Kevin Durant's trying to make the uh, the GM and the head coach pawns in his own game with uh, owner Josiah. I'm wondering if you've read up on any of this, uh, you know, the latest rumor sheet, I guess, on what Kevin Durant wants, where he wants to go, what's happening. Uh, do you have any yeah. thoughts? Yeah, I feel like I feel like Kevin Durant, like he gave him an ultimatum, right? Like I feel like, you know, this is kind of like dating or something like that. It's like it's either me or it's like your parents, or it's like either me or your your friends or whatever. Like you have to choose. And it's like this this isn't gonna look this doesn't look good on yourself. And this is not a good situation whatsoever. So yeah, he's stated like it's either uh me or uh Steve Nash and Sean Mark, right? And it's like well, I don't know what you want to do. And I think it's come to the point, I think uh, uh, the the owner, right, um, is it Joseph Sai? I think he used to work for Alibaba or was like a former executive there. But um, it's, it's come to the point where I think he tweeted out saying like, hey, fans, like, it's, it's all good. It's all good. Nothing to, you know, go crazy about. We're just might lose our best player or our head coach or our GM uh, mm-hmm. and all that. But um, I think... Well, in my opinion, though, it's like, didn't Durant, like, didn't he choose this situation? <laughs> like, didn't he not choose uh, Steve Nash? Like, I know they've had a really good relationship. So it's like, who are you? Like, we got everything you wanted. Now you're like, oh, I don't want to be here. So I don't know. It's like when you're dating someone, it's like, oh, I've gone. I've done everything I wanted to. Like, I have gave you everything. I took you out. I treated you out. But for whatever reason, you're putting up with all these ultimatums and all that fun stuff. So. I don't know. It's, it doesn't look good on Durant. I think it's if I'm Joseph Sai, I'm like to hell with you. Like I'm just gonna get rid of everybody and clean house again because apparently, you know, nobody knows what they're doing or, or whatever. So, um, but yeah, I I don't know. I I I hate to see Durant and his talent level, like his legacy, kind of dwindle down to like what it's been these past couple of seasons now, uh, just of like drama like where it doesn't really need to be or like he's moving and jumping and he's trying to create teams so yeah it's kind of like you know and then you see the warriors just win the the nba championship too um yeah i don't know i i don't think the situation does not look good for kevin durant doesn't show leadership doesn't show like he's a person that you build a team around or he doesn't just sound like he's showing the leadership Shows he's just afraid, honestly, and I don't know. It's it is kind of sad. So, but yeah, what are you thinking? Yeah, I think that move just kind of calling for the firings of uh, Sean Marks and Steve Nash. I mean, I think that's all for show. I think he knows the answer would be no. He knows that that would just like frazzle the owner. Uh, obviously, get under skin of the GM and the head coach too to make them like decide. Okay, now we're trading you, but you know, kind of in the same way with like hurt his trade value because he's just like this huge you know he's huge like problem disruption whatever so i think he's just trying to lower his trade value to like get off the team teams they're like not call you know not falling for his bluff they're basically like well we got you on a four-year deal we want the highest value for you possible and uh yeah just think the team that ends up getting them if they're not again like the golden state warriors not ready to win tomorrow they don't have to give up like more than the majority of their core to get him, then that makes sense. But 
it's like just funny, like looking at the Celtic situation. We covered this in full in a past episode. Um, but it's just like the Celtics would almost kind of seem foolish to make this move, like make the move. Cause it's like, look at the golden state Warriors. You were right there. I think we said this in the last episode, but it's just like, you know, I've heard the nets have come down a little bit on their, on their request. I think it was something like now it's Brown um, smart and multiple picks. Um, and I heard at one point it was going to, they asked for Brown and Tatum for Durant. Like, like, come on, man. Like that's, yeah. this is so stupid. So it's just like, I would just caution the Celtics, like, be smart, know what you have, look what you did this offseason, you're building on a team that just went to the championship, and, like, honestly, what are you getting back? I mean, look, I like Durant as a player, uh, obviously, like, just a really elite scorer and everything else, but, like, at 33, you know, with, you know, four, you know, four seasons left, and it's like, what's he going to look like? I mean, we did that whole breakdown, but it's like, yeah, just, just don't be stupid here. Um, you know, I think we're going to be hearing more of this as we kind of, you know, finish out the summer here going into, you know, NBA training camp and everything like that. But, uh, yeah, I just hope at some point uh, a sensible trade comes to the, comes to the surface. I don't want to see another Simmons situation this season where it's just like, okay, so then Durant's just like sitting out for half a year because he's upset, you know, it's like just getting like tiring. And I, I know the next CBA, they're going to probably make some, uh, some crazy actions to get this stuff corrected. But, uh, that's pretty much all I have to say about that. I know we went into depth about it, but it's just kind of keeping up with the news updates. I was kind of having a good laugh about that today. Yeah, it's this is just all comical. I really just hope that everybody just moves on. And yeah, I I do not think I I don't think Kevin Durant's going to win another championship for whatever reason. Just doesn't seem like he's at, he's going to go to a contender. They're not going to want him or whatever. And I don't know. It just it's it just it's really just hurting his legacy right now. Just kind of everything that's been happening. So. You know, hopefully for the sake of his own career, he can find a better situation where it's not as, I guess, toxic for either that he's driving or that, you know, other people might be driving. But it's like, yeah, he, for whatever reason, whenever he goes to a situation, he just can't be happy. I don't know. Something something there. So, yeah. Yeah. So. Ditto. Is there anything else uh, you had in mind to kind of close out the show or any like parting thoughts from what we covered? Well, I, I do know there was a little bit of a spiff between DeJounte Murray and Paulo <laughs> Banchero. I don't know like, what the hell is happening with these two, but they're like, you know, there's a viral video, I think, of them like, you know, jawing at each other, like at some uh, like pro-am or whatever. It's like, isn't they, aren't these supposed to be fun? Uh, but I know they're like two Seattle people. I know it's kind of like, a, you know, King of the Hill thing over there, like, uh, you know, the older statesman going against the younger, young gun, trying to like show him what's up and everything, and showing like, hey, yeah, you, you need a little bit of work on your game and you know, to rise up the hierarchy of all this. But yeah, curious your thoughts. What, what did you see on all this whole drama between these two? And like, you know, is this all fun or do you think that that's going to go down like when the NBA season starts? Yeah, the move was amazing. I don't know if you saw it, but like DeJounte put it, like, I guess. Paulo was guarding him straight up and DeJounte put the ball behind his back, kind of like had it posted on his back for a second. Paulo turns it around and then like DeJounte does like one move or something and just like dunks in his face and then starts jawing out of stuff. It's like, yeah, the context kind of matters with them going back to like Seattle. Um, they're obviously like years apart. So I don't think they ever played each other in high school, but um, apparently in some of like their diss uh, battle, uh, 
basically DeJounte said like used to ask me if you could like rebound for me and stuff like back in the day, (laughs) which is kind of like just another like insult to injury. And then like, I think DeJounte like defriend or like, yeah, defollowed Paolo on Instagram and and then like Paolo like posted something on Instagram, like, yo, this guy's a clown. Like he default, you know, he, he stopped following me on Instagram and like, you know, why doesn't he just like come guard me one-on-one this year versus sending out like, a bunch of backup like to to help him out or something like that so it's just like i don't know man it's just like maybe one of those like little tips for the moment or something but it seems like they actually have some some history with each other like good history so it's like maybe they're just like all wound up in the moment and it seemed like at the end of it toward uh you know, some of the news reports i was reading is like Dejounte um basically said like he's still rooting on paulo to have like a great year so he's just like i don't get what all the beefs about you know i think maybe he was just like john a little bit too much and it got out of hand but uh yeah. I think they'll be fine. It was just kind of like funny to watch those, these videos and some of the Instagram posts. Oh, it's hilarious. Like this is where, this is what Instagram and like Twitter are all made for. It's just people to be trolling this whole situation. <laughs> I, I think, I, I think my favorite comparison was like, uh, it was like, yeah, this is Gisante Murray, like at a practice or at a rec league or whatever. He's like, it's basically showing Pat Beverly, you know, after, uh, you know, the, the Timberwolves uh, when that playoff playing game, right. Kind of like, yeah, this is crazy. It's the best game ever. It's like, dude, this is just a program. So whatever, you know. So mm-hmm. uh I, I I definitely think it's funny. Um, I think it's probably kind of for show a little bit and just yeah, just people having a good time jawing. But you know, to your point, like at the end of the day, I think they were just both like, Yeah, I'm cheering for him. I wish he, I'm wishing the best. You know, <laughs> this thing might have got blown way out of proportion, but uh, you know, I think it's good fun uh for us fans. So looking forward to uh the season to start and uh, for sure and, and everything progressed there. So, but yeah. Yeah. Um, only other parting thought I wanted to put out there is Aaron judge hit his 45th home run tonight. Uh, it's August 10th. Um, you know, in a lot of our books, I think we're looking at 61 is the real number. Um, hoping somehow, some way uh, the major league baseball uh, establishment can look at those records at some point in time. If Aaron judge happens to get past 61 proven to be like not using any sort of performance enhancers, there's no cork in his bat. There's no juice ball situation or something like that. But like legitimately would have to like relook at that record and many records that have been held by, you know, these uh, proven steroid users who, again, we covered a lot of this in our last episode, but I just think it's uh it's something that, I think baseball um, should shine a light on and kind of make better. You know, I, I, the Astros getting, you know, the chance to keep their trophy was really disheartening. I thought Um, obviously there was no suspensions for any single player because they gave information, which is just incredible. Uh, It's just, yeah, there's so many black eyes on the game that as a fan, it's like, this could be just such a monumental fun year. And, and just to make it kind of more legitimate than just like when he actually may get to that 60 plus number, it's not just like, Oh, well he finished fifth of all time in the single season. It's like, we should really be like impressed that this kid could like put a year together. Like he has, especially in the second half where he's just double digit home runs and like only like 20 games or something. It's like pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, he's always been big, right? Maybe it's the whole like Frank Thomas thing. Right. So it's like, wasn't like Frank Thomas like two two fifty or whatever like in college because he played football? So you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know, I'm sure they. I think they do more rigorous testing, right, uh, with regards to steroids and all. So 
Um, but you know, it, it uh, we'll definitely you know give Aaron Judge the benefit of the doubt here with regards to all that. Um, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see if he can do that, uh, especially as a Yankee. And hey, if if they make it to the World Series, win it all, like you know, win hit sixty plus home runs, that's an incredible year. So you know, hey, if he hits sixty, you'll probably win MVP or something like that, right? So um, yeah, if he can do all that for the Yankees, uh, man. He's this this guy. He's uh he's not not that he's not already a star, but that's that's just an amazing accomplishment, I think. Uh, you know, especially in New York. So, yeah, yeah. I'm not a Yankee fan, but I'll be rooting him on because I think he is a good guy. I think he's playing the game pretty clean. If I had to guess, uh, like you said, tall in stature, very very strong as an individual. It's just like let's just see if he can do it. He's got he's got a really great chance here. So I'm going to be excited to watch him down the stretch. Yeah, and he's, he's he actually has a career high eleven stolen bases this season. So <laughs> look, at, look at that, man! He's he's playing baseball. I love it. Yeah, um, yeah. So I guess I mean, with that, I mean, great episode. We covered the big three in our sports, which we rarely do. Hopefully, we can just keep this going. Uh, you know, sometime into this week or next. But um, with Wayne Pua and Patrick Miller signing off for the Ball and Breakfast podcast. <laughs>